and welcome to the 361 Degrees podcast episode 8. My name is Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Ewan McLeod from Mobile Industry Review. And I'm Ray Blanford from All About Windows Phone. Uh, happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year and Happy New Year to our audience, more importantly. Yes, both of them. Uh, I hope you had a, a, a lovely <laughs> a holiday season. I don't want to get into whether it was Christmas or not. We had that, arg- we had that argument in the pub the other week, my friends. So, happy holidays, happy everyone. Festive happy festive Happy festive season. So, Rafe Blanford, what are we going to be talking about this week? We thought we'd uh, take a look ahead at that time of year, 2012, coming up. Lots of exciting things happening, the Olympics and all of that. But maybe we should uh, stick to our 361 degrees in mobile sphere and talk about what we think is going to be, not necessarily the big topics, but interesting trends this year. Okay, so uh, I think the, the interesting thing here is that uh, we're, we're only doing like 12 months ahead, so we're not making kind of major earth-shattering predictions. But what's interesting is that, you know, 2011, quite a lot of stuff happened, but I don't know, you know, kind of every year is the year of mobile, but I don't know how you classify what happened last year. Maybe was it the rise of Android? Was that the big story of well, 2011? Well, just recently we're seeing that there are more Android activations than there are... Babies being born daily. No, I didn't yeah. Know. And the, the, well, there, there was that. There was the, the Nokia change. There was the fall of RIM. It, it well, the, al- the alleged fall of RIM. The, 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 the sales and things. But it, it's difficult to put our finger on what the story was. So we, what we've done yeah. is we've each chosen one yeah. one story of our own. And I think we've got three different ones. And, well, maybe in 12 months' time we'll know where we got to. But, you know, we're going to keep, try and keep it quite broad. So you and McLeod... Yes. Go. Uh, well, I think mine's M Commerce. I'm 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 getting more and more excited about the possibilities with M Commerce. And this week, a friend of mine told me that the office where I'm I'm doing a lot of work at the moment, um, there is a, a little restaurant, an independent restaurant downstairs underneath the building. Uh, it's a tapas restaurant, and they have their own app. And I thought, oh, someone just said, oh, they've got their own app. Okay, fine. This the guy said, no, no, you can pay via the app. I said, no, you can't. You're, you're, you're. I was going to say a naughty word there, and I have. 2012 is the year. Is the year of no naughty words on the podcast. You're, <laughs> uh, you're making it up. Yeah, that's what I was saying. And uh, no, I went and checked the the app out, and apparently you can't. This this little independent restaurant has deployed its own app that allows you to pay. It connects. The app will connect to the till. Just like the Pizza Express app, you know that um, mm-hmm. the Pizza Express app allows you to you take the the, the ID from the, the the bill and you just go click click done pay. This little restaurant has done that now. It's only available for iPhone at the moment. Uh, I haven't used it yet, but I've just just downloaded the app. I think that's astonishing. So I think what we're going to see is an acceleration in the adoption of M Commerce, at least in the in the West here. Over the next couple of months. And I think we could add to that maybe talking about Square, the add-on oh, for the gosh, iPhone. Yeah. They're now up to, I think, it's 2 million customers or yeah. clients. Okay, we're not talking massive numbers yet, but we can see it happening. And people have talked about NFC and M-commerce. Well, I don't think that's really going to happen this year apart from trials. I just think that will too legally complicated, too much regulatory framework in the way. But I can see those kind of little apps coming in and stuff like Square and maybe other competitors, you know, it becoming much more commonplace to pay for things on your mobile phone. And I know certainly in the last year, I've actually started paying for things with online shopping and other bits and pieces, which up until that point had been restricted to my PC. 
for me though the thing it's still that as you said Rafe, it's still the thing about payment because i do loads of research on my mobile when i'm buying stuff are you and you put on mobile industry review a post recently about how people are doing comparison shopping inside stores right. yeah. using their mobile to see yeah. if they can get a better deal and yeah i've done that for years and i think it's now mainstream but lots of geeks you know will recognize that mm. um i've started to do actual shopping on my phone now like um with the supermarket apps filling my basket doing the order because it, it's a way to you know, get rid of a train journey. I can yes. spend the half an hour on the train get do, get doing my week shopping. But the the pain point, and I, actually, I've done a bit of Amazon shopping as well, like running the run up to Christmas. But the pain point for me is still payment. All of the places I do my shopping, I either do the transaction, the final payment transaction on the web, or I've already registered all my card details on the web, mm. and I just click, yeah, you know, use those details. But well, how does how does your little how does your little right, tapas okay. restaurant take right, take okay. a bill? Uh, the Don, I'm going to read it out. Right, this is me reading it. The Don Fernando payment system is an application based on the Delos D E L O S M P S payment engine. Right, no idea what that is, uh, which allows users to pay for meals in the Don Fernando restaurant uh, using your PayPal account. So it's it's PayPal is the mechanism, and I think that's <clears throat> that's the default. Right, that's the only easy way of doing this because there's no other mechanism right no, no other easy mechanism i think the key issue here is paypal is the only way you can do this effectively right at the minute is that is that fair what, what payment engine could you what what else could these guys be using we, we do need to be careful here and say that's specific to the west there are some competitors to paypal elsewhere and sure. if you look at a market like kenya where mobile right, commerce right. is really well established through the SMS system, and you're seeing that same thing in well, that, India and China. So, too I mean, painful to think of all these other really cool countries. But if you focus it on the West, what else? Could you, if you have a little restaurant and you want to take M, M payments, how are you going to do it? Well, I think the well, the other system that I know of is the pay for it system, which is like a it, it's not premium SMS because what it's a system that all of the operators in the UK allow you to sort of bill through your mobile phone and it's a real time transaction so but is but uh, is that not just virtual payment no that's a real that's a real payment from your mobile yeah. bill no but is it not only for virtual goods can you buy a physical goods i don't a physical goods i don't thing? believe there are any restrictions i think at the moment it's mostly used to pay for for virtual goods because of the kind of well, because of, actually, actually, I, I thought I'm sure it was just for because they, they didn't want it to make it, make it into a currency. You could only buy stuff you downloaded onto your phone. No. Buy a pay for it. No, because you because you can use pay for it to buy to to um, make transactions I, on the web. Now I don't know if some, that's still digital only yeah, content that's thinking, transactions. But but even yeah. even if we accept that, I, and I'll check that. But even if we accept that, maybe that could extend in the future. The, the drawback with all of the other payment mechanisms that I'm aware of is that the charge they make is like tens of percent of the transaction cost. It's really quite well, it has high. to be because of these operators, right? Yeah. Now, well, I, I, don't, I genuinely don't know why. I reckon Rafe will probably tell us in a minute. But PayPal has quite a low transaction cost relatively. But it doesn't feel very clever at the moment to me because I've still, re, I've still pre-registered my bank account details or my credit card details and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's no different to me checking out kind of with my Amazon store saved credit card it just happens to be multi-store where's where's the genuine mobile payment you know there doesn't seem to be any mobile first orientated payment system the one thing that you know looking at from the other side of the equation I'm sure operators would like us to say operator APIs might play a role here in the future 
and they're becoming more open to the idea. That I think they're just far too late. Are they not? I mean, this is just ridiculous. I, I think M Commerce is young enough that other things could come in, and the idea of being able to pay for your stuff on your mobile phone bill is actually quite well established because of things like ringtones and it's becoming established in app stores as well so there's I, i'm not saying it will happen but i think there's possibilities there i think the other thing i'd say about payments is that i think you can persuade people to switch quite quickly because you'd apart from confidence you know which is a binary thing i either have confidence in the name like uh, for example recently i talked to tom purvis at meth americas who and visa have launched this v.me system which is in intended to address this particularly uh, you know where they they intend to power mobile payments and we'll, I'm going to do some blog posts about it in more detail but they recognize this and they see it as a huge opportunity and more importantly aside from all of the technology they recognize that people trust the visa name yep. and that they will make transactions so I trust my operator ish at least to do transactions I trust visa I trust PayPal and I probably trust a bunch of a small bunch of other uh, kind of you know payment banking you know names um, and as long as one of them is doing the transaction, all you need to do is introduce it, and I'll switch overnight. I don't have a loyalty to a, to a payment mechanism. Are you uh, are you happy with Square now that they've been given money and the badge from Visa? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, though, I would have been happy with Square before because Square is only, as I understand it, a gateway to a credit card payment. So I knew that I was if if Square went under or a square happened to be run by bad guys which obviously they're not but if you know if they turned out to be then i'm still protected by visa by mastercard by american express yeah. whoever you know runs yeah. that transaction for me so i i think really for for m commerce the question for me is not who's going to do the payments because actually i think it's going to be the same old people that have always done payments it's how am i going to make that payment you know, uh, am I in a store making a mobile payment? Am I away from the store getting stuff delivered? And um, what am I buying on my mobile? Because I, I I hear a lot of people talking about like NFC wallets and this kind of stuff. And to me, I don't see, and we've talked about this before, I don't see the value because I'm in the store. Why not use my existing card? But I like your restaurant example because mm. it adds value because I can pay from my seat. It's in a anybody. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, I can get up and go. And no you, waiting. You, you know. don't have to do this messing around with that idiot till terminal thingy that they bring around and you have to stand there and stare yeah. at them, et cetera, et cetera. It, it answers the question, why would I pay for this on my mobile device as opposed to getting my wallet out? Because at the moment, we're still in that hybrid phase. And the reason Square works is because it's the hybrid model. You're still using the plastic. The mobile device is irrelevant actually to the consumer. It's the merchant who is using it. A, um, so I think the interesting thing about mobile commerce in 2012 is maybe we're going to see people paying for stuff themselves on their device, i.e. using their device as the transaction terminal. Let me ask you this. Uh, if there's a restaurant nearby your place, for example, would you, would, and they say, look, you can pay by PayPal now, or you can pay using our app now, would you do that? Yes, I would, but I suspect most people wouldn't at this point in time. It's, it's not easy enough. There's too much friction. So 2012 is the year of M-commerce, or maybe the inception of M. Okay, so just, just, just tell me. So give me your prediction. Are you and McLeod's prediction? Twenty twelve. M. Commerce is. I've modified it. It is the uh, the the introduction of M. Commerce to a wider marketplace. Boom. Right. We will meet back here in twelve months' time to discuss. I think I've qualified it enough to make That's sure exactly. it's, <laughs> it's caveat central. <laughs> okay, Rafe Blanford. 
Well, I wanted to talk about smartphones. Symbiose. Oh. It's a massive topic, obviously. Don't but I want be to... rude to Rafe Blanford. He has yeah. Twitter followers that will say nasty things Actually, about it. My New Year's resolution is only to be nice to Rafe Blanford. So. Oh, well, I guess that'll last about two weeks. <laughs> it's slightly, slightly longer than my new exercise regime. <laughs> Go on, Rafe, sorry. So, so talking about smartphones, you know, they're here, they're established, great. And I feel, you know, took great strides in 2011, but... Actually, what I feel is we've only got to the place now where everyone's doing smartphones. That's accepted. So I actually think 2012 will be the year where we start to see some really interesting things happen in terms of differentiation. Because in 2011, it felt like everyone was producing touch slabs and there weren't a great deal of difference. You know, we've got the big rise of Android. That was a theme for me in 2011. And we have Apple doing stuff with iOS. And we now have Windows Phone coming in as the, the third ecosystem. And that's a separate conversation. But Undoubtedly, they're all of a level, if you like, that you can make a justification for why you'd pick up any one of those. But to me, there now needs to be differentiation to make them stand out, to make people purchase them for a particular reason. Now, you can talk about applications or you talk about services, but I actually think there's still a lot of potential in design and hardware, and it's why people choose a particular device. So I think we might see a revisiting of this. In other words, a move away from just a black plastic slab and you can see things like the iPhone 4 were precursors to this. And you can look at the reaction app with CES to the uh, Nokia Lumia 900. It wasn't, you know, all about the specs there. Actually, it wasn't the best spec device at the show, but it did seem to be the one that everyone was talking about because of the design in that particular dimension. And it doesn't matter which manufacturer you talk about. There's been tons and tons of allegations of copying and of lack of inspiration. I mean, Samsung gets a lot of flack, and to be fair, their designs do do tend to, you know, mirror. Here the, is the same one again. Well, faithful. Yeah, and but also the, the, the it is remarkable how similar to the most successful competing models on the market they are. But last year was, done it very well. But, but last year, I say I think Rev's right because last year was the one where everybody levelled up. Everybody showed that they could produce yes, a, yes. a device well, that looks clones. like an iPhone 4 or looked yes. like an iPhone 3 or looked like an iPad. And some did it better than others. There's definitely still differentiation, but we're talking about degrees of quality now, not about capability to even yeah. do it in the first instance. So, Rafe, you talked about you know more differentiation. Got Talk a little bit more about that because I think that's what's really exciting. Well, I've talked about the design quickly, and I think it can also, and that's design of the hardware, but that design of the software, and it will become more about you know, user experiences in that this device does something really well. That's what it gets known for. Uh, and I think there's a problem at the moment. They all feel very samey and a bit difficult to use. Uh, so when you're introducing a non-geek to a smartphone, a lot of the time the reaction is, oh, that's a bit complicated, or I don't use it to its potential. I think there's so much work still to be done there, and I think we'll start to see that in 2012. Quick story for you as an aside, because I thought the iPhone was the ultimate in usability. You know, everyone else has strengths, but the iPhone is ultimate in usability. Um, Over Christmas, with the in-laws... Uh, you know, lovely Christmas, brilliant. Thanks for asking. Log uh, fires, log fires. Yeah, uh, so absolutely. You know, I mean, obviously they, they they kept throwing me on it. I kept getting off. You know, um, but uh, the neighbour, I think, actually uh, upgraded herself to an iPhone four. It was kind of a you know tr- present to me at Christmas time, and. The, the handset came round from next door because Ben was in and, you know, Ben, the, the phone expert, you know. Um, he's from 361 degrees. He's from 361. I don't think we have any listeners there. Um, <laughs> how do I make a, how do I get my, no, sorry, how do I make, uh, make a phone call? Because she, what she had done 
he's um, accidentally deleted the uh, the green kind of handset oh, call application no. icon off the bottom bar on the iPhone. I think probably just by not appreciating yeah, pressing the button. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and obviously it hadn't gone away. It was still in the application list. But again, the application list spread over two or three panels. And so, you know, kind of all of a sudden you've got a phone with no immediately obvious way to make calls. And no so, manual. Well, and so I put it back. Great. Like they pressed that. Brilliant. Okay. Ten minutes later, came back. How do I find my text messages? Because the home screen was on the second or the third screen and the messages icons on the first one. Now, that's not a criticism. That is just a a lot of smartphones will struggle with that. But the point is that, you know, normal mobile users, people who don't take that stuff for granted are now getting these devices and there's a whole new world of people to satisfy with, with, with interfaces that are not scary. There, there are now we've gone past the 50% mark for you know how many people have a smartphone. That's a whole new set of people who are, are perhaps less tech savvy and there is a, a market to, to meet those. And so this is the issue. We've got one UI on each platform. That's not actually necessarily the ideal thing to address the market with in terms of user experiences. And you know that iPhone is a good example. If you start offering customization options, you make things more complicated and the ability to make things go wrong comes in. And so that can create problems. So I think there's an opportunity there. But not, we're not talking about offering dumbed-down versions because that's not what people want. But you do need to actually think about the way people are using their phones. And you know the move off this idea of an app grid and you know phone functionality, something separate that sits out the way, feels, feels wrong to me. And I don't think we'll see this solved in 2012, but I think it will suddenly come to the forefront of people thinking about it because yes everyone has leveled up what comes next okay let me just come back to your your original point here give me some examples of how you'd like to see differentiation so uh the motorola brought out the new what's it called the one razor max apparently runs for 24 hours is that well well, that's actually a good example that's a 3000 milliamp hour battery as opposed to a sort of standard 1800 so it definitely does a day and a half so there are people out there who would buy it for that reason. Uh, you know, that's does a move. It do? Does it do a day and a half? Well, I haven't used the device, I mean, so I can't do it. But it's a big. Get, does three thousand whatever milliamps give you anything more than? Well, at least in terms of pure numbers, Rafe's yeah. right. It's just slightly less than double a typical Android smartphone battery size. So it, fair cop. You know, yeah. it looks like it probably. It, it's a massive move on from the differentiation and making it as thin as possible yes. or making it pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of example, and you might talk about specialised camera devices. Now, this is something that Nokia did very successfully back with, I guess, I the, N- the N82, for okay. example. I think Rafe is entirely entitled to talk about Nokia because it's an area of his expertise and we shouldn't really be surprised <laughs> if it occasionally comes up in conversation. Please carry on, Rafe. I'm fascinated. So I, I, insult I, from the Twitter. Sorry. So I, I think there's every reason that we might see more very camera-focused devices come in. You know, there's a, a acceptance that you get a decent camera with your smartphone, but you may buy smartphones that are particularly based around one area because that's your area of interest. Uh, you know, if you look at other bits of the market, this isn't just restricted to the high end. You can have some markets where speakerphones are really important because people listen to the radio and they do it in a social way. So having a loud, loud speaker in the phone is actually a really good thing to have. And so, I thought you were talking about conference calling. Well, at, it, it's conference calling, but, you know... Nokia uh, communicator stuff. 
but that's a good example of the kind of differentiation that we've kind of seen go away a little bit. Uh, and we are we do see the occasional form factor that's outside this plain slab. But in terms of the big devices that get all the attention, it feels like they're all very much the same. Would we ever see, and this, this, uh, uh, this is a Nokia question for the Blanford here, related to your, your subject matter at the moment, would we ever see a Nokia N95 form factor with you know, uh, Android or, well, obviously not, with Windows, uh, with a better operating system on it. I love that form factor. I, I love that form factor too, but I think it is a thing of the is past. It done? Is that job done? We're no more. I, I think there's touchscreens are going to be dominant now, and it is harder to do differentiation when you've got one big unchangeable thing on the design well, of the device. Put a touchscreen on it, but just give me that form factor. I could imagine a Nokia device that was like the... Like the BlackBerry um, E60. No, what's the one with the sliding out keyboard from underneath? Torch. Torch or the Palm Pre or the Dell Venue Pro, which is, it's the it's kind of an N95-esque in terms of the upward sliding, but it, there's a QWERTY keyboard underneath yeah. rather than a yeah, you know, 1 to 9 yeah. keypad. That Because, I mean, those things exist and, and, you know. And by the same token, uh, it's kind of the clamshell form factor, originally the communicators. Uh, I think Nokia didn't get enough attention for the actual design of the N9701 was focused on how bad it was, and quite rightly so. But in terms of industrial design, that was a, a neat idea, and I think that may come back in again because some people do still like physical keyboards. I mean, the idea that everything has to be a touch slab just it doesn't catch so me I at all. I think really there fast. needs to be more. You know, on, the, on that, uh, that numerical keypad with T9, I can actually type really fast. Yeah, and I think there's still a call for that. I think maybe not at the high end. I mean, I think there's still a big call for kind of, you know, when touchscreens get below three inches, they start to get a bit more difficult to use, so having a keypad makes sense. But there is always this trade-off. Because when, um, when, well, I think it was the original iPhone launch, but there's that famous slide where Steve Jobs has a BlackBerry and there was a Nokia E61 and all of these phones up, and what he's... What, what he was saying at the time was, look, half of their front of this phone is wasted with keypad, and he you know shows like the screen is stay, you know. But actually, I look at that and I think that all of those devices were worse than the iPhone, not because of what was in the bottom half, but because of what was in the top half. Yes. It was what you Absolutely. saw through yes. the screen was what was terrible, and actually. Although for an iPhone, I don't think it would work because of the way that the platform evolved, but there is still a very strong market for uh, keyboard-driven phones, still with touchscreens and everything and the whole variety, but actually, you know, that messaging-centric is still better with QWERTY for enough people that they, that one of the ways that we'll see the market differentiate is fan out loads of different hardware devices now, uh, you know, with, with these platforms now that uh, they've established. And, and I think because the market has been so focused around Android and iOS... People have almost forgotten about that QWERTY form factor. You know, BlackBerry... Or oh, any form factor. Yeah, and BlackBerry have produced some really nice bits of hardware, but people some have... pretty terrible of, ones as well. Some terrible ones as good well. Good man, Rafe, good man. But people have ignored it because of the general conversation around BlackBerry is it's failing. And by the same token, you can, you know, Nokia and Sony Ericsson, they've actually produced some really nice sliding QWERTY things. Uh, and yet, so it feels to me there is time for that to come back. So that's my general point. Everyone's levelled up on smartphones, as Ben so nicely put it. Now there's some time for actually seeing some real competition because there's choice between three platforms. There's a lot of strong manufacturers still left in with some really strong design competencies. So in that sense, I think 2012 will be the year of renewal for smartphones if we just think about it in terms of design, form factor and differentiation. 
Okay. And if you had to pick something other than hardware and the simplicity of the UI, give me one other thing that you think that people you can look out for as a sign of this competition taking place. I think there'll be a less of a com- conversation around how many apps and more of a conversation around the quality of the app in terms of the experience. And I'm not just talking UI of app, but how quickly it enables you to do something. We will watch this space. Meet you back here in 12 months. Uh, so my one is, all right, so this sounds a little bit, um, you know, Rafe, Rafe's yawning and Ewan's already gone. So I'm going to talk about... Oh, I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to talk about over-the-top services. And that's not services that are like, you know, way, way too much. Uh, that's the, the kind of the industry term for um, services that run over the top of the network effectively. So normally... Such as, give us an example. Well, so, so normally, these would be things that use um, the data channel on the phone in order to sort of give some new features. Or bypass. Or, by, or bypass. So it could be voice calling over internet, for example, can be an over-the-top oh, service. message can be messaging services and, and people will sort of will be saying well hang on a minute you can make calls with phones and you can uh, do sms but the point is that these services kind of go one better because they do all the features you know like high def voice they'll do group calling they'll route to computers and other non-phone devices like directly um, all the all the nice things you get with skype or, or something like that and obviously they're much lower cost um and the other thing and and those things already exist, though. So the reason I think over-the-top services kind of will begin to come up this year is, imagine for a moment, Ewan, you were a mobile network. Yeah. Okay, stop. Put that knife down just for a second. All right. And your problem is that... I want more money from you. So you, you want more money from me. and Stop I, using the starting network. And I, as a consumer, I want to pay you less money, and I want uh, a level of service, like speed and performance of your network. Yep. That is crazily above what you can deliver given the difficulty you have putting new masts up in, in developed towns and cities and things like NIMBY. that. NIMBY. Yeah, because of plan permission, because yep. of cost, because of links, and also network capacity, because although we're not going to talk about it loads, in the UK, 4G rollout is quite a long way away, and in the States, whilst it's happening, you know, operators are having to make hard decisions about how much they invest in this because, frankly, 4G is not free. You know, men have to go to places with new hardware and spend money on links. So, you know, you want to sell me stuff, mm-hmm. and I already think that you are a utility. You know, you just I, I pay you of the minimum amount I possibly can, and kind of I'm vaguely disappointed. That so, how do you now differentiate? You know, your service. Well, in the past operators doing stuff like software or services was always a disaster. I mean, yeah. what can you think of that was, was Vodafone terrible? Vodafone 360. Yeah, Vodafone 360. <laughs> yeah, I, okay. It was so terrible, I'd genuinely forgotten about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm thinking about, Rafe, all that... Um, op- all that operator branding that used to go onto handsets, not just colours and styles, but all these apps and wall gardens and portals. There'll be themes, and it'll be Vodafone Music, Orange TV, T-Mobile Zones, all GPS those kind of apps that you wanted to kind of get rid of because they were taking up valuable space, and quite often they were locked onto the phone so you couldn't remove them. So it was the idea of bloatware on phones, which we all hate on PCs, and it was was frankly appalling and sometimes they'll change the firmware of a device such that you couldn't upgrade it and it was unstable anyway so it was kind of the worst of both worlds so the, 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 that was a point though where um 
I think operators were doing that like as a defensive move. They were trying to prevent people going out and getting third-party services, going onto the internet. They were. It was kind of the last gasp attempt before you admitted that actually mobile networks were internet service providers. And or, or it was actually saying, uh, um, "We will delete. You know, we we think we own the customer." Yeah, it, 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 before it, they recognised that they only owned part of the customer. Yeah, yeah, the it, customer it was repeatedly yeah. early internet, you know, the idea of the portal strategy, yes. and it failed on the internet for very obvious reasons, and it was going to fail on mobile for exactly the same reasons. But now I think the time is right that um, think about uh, maybe some of the services uh, voice on voice feed, which is yep. that it, it's a you know an experiment that Orange are running. It's really good now. It, it's it's a voicemail mm-hmm. product. It's like a visual voicemail product, but they're experimenting with um, sort of that's an over the top service. It's better than normal voicemail. It's got you know visual elements, metadata comes down with your voicemail. Speech to text. Speech to text, so you can have all these different updates. It's not very complicated, but what they're doing is they're trying to make the experience of being on, well, actually, any network, Mm. but they're trying to make the experience of having phone calls, receiving voicemails better than it was before. And rather than saying, actually, we're going to throw our whole network and GSM and your existing phone and you need to upgrade to brand new fancy phone standard X, what they're doing is they're using a service over the top of the existing network to, to, to go on better. Um, the services, for example, some of the services that O2 are launching, I mean, they bought Jar Jar, didn't mm-hmm. they? And they're doing um, voice calling and things like that. Yep. And then there are a bunch of, well, can you think of any kind of independent non-operator, uh, you know, over-the-top services? Well, um, I mean, there's so many application services nowadays. If you think, think about WhatsApp. all the messenger ones, yeah. WhatsApp or XMS or, um, you know, and iMessage is crucial, isn't it? Because yes. Apple have recognised that they need to make messaging better than operator SMS. Yeah. And BlackBerry kind of began to show the way, but it only worked when you jumped out of SMS and you went into a BlackBerry mm-hmm. application and you sent you know, messages between BlackBerry users. iMessage is still kind of halfway there, but it integrates the whole thing seamlessly. So if you don't, if I'm not, don't have an Apple device, it all works still, you know, kind of, it's quite graceful. And look at Microsoft buying Skype last year. You know, that was because they think this sort of thing is going to come in. And there's quite a lot of potential there for operators to do interesting deals, to do a Skype-friendly voice plant, for example. Well, no, I, let me just take a step back here. Let us all take a step back and stop drinking this operator Kool-Aid, right? Because these guys are not going to do anything innovative at all. I disagree. I think now that the time has come where the operators can see the writing on the wall, they... they Everybody talks about the operators just becoming utilities, and they ha- and they are very scared about that yep. because when you become a utility, I mean, quite aside from all the kind of the industry jargon, every operator that has an iPhone customer, every iPhone customer is already a utility. Because it, when you're the other thing is when you're a utility, the amount of profit you're allowed to take per customer is much much reduced because your service is completely transferable to anybody else. The moment you cost too much, yeah. so now the operators for the first time have. The, uh, the incentive to compete, they have to win new business and they have to bec- they have to effectively create new businesses. And the reason that they will be good at running over the top services rather than, let's say, just using like a third party one I can download from an app store is that they can now build these services into their networks so that you get integration with the network, you get access to your voicemail, you have 
backups of your messages held by them. They do, you know, sort of primary, uh, they do preferential routing and treatment, and maybe they don't even charge you for the data you're using because it's included rather than, you know, your, your uh, uh, And frankly, they have the consumer relationship already and a certain amount of trust. You know, we might all hate operators or at least pretend to, but the vast majority of people still, you know, said, I'm on Orange, you know, that's a part of their well, mobile I'm not, I'm identity. Not hating. I'm not hating on them, as they say in the States. Uh, I'm just saying that the sad reality is that the the ability to react and to do as you're saying, there's probably some people listening here who are product managers, program managers in the operators in the West here that would love to do it. They, they have put the papers forward to say this is what we need. And they, they, they're listing going, of course you're right. If anything, you know, we should have been. A... The problem is the senior management just says no, 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 no. But I, I think that this year will be the year that the hungriest operators, the ones who are closest to the well, line... Yeah, the one that we know, well, I, that I know, is Telefonica, with their Blue Via and with their, their innovation arm, yeah. with their Telefonica Digital. They are really doing some really smart stuff. And actually, uh, they're not... I mean, they're a massive operator, yeah. so they're not close to the wall. I mean, they're, I think they're ahead of the curve there. But I was Definitely. thinking, like, some of the smaller operators... Such as? Well, I was thinking, like, for example, three in the UK. Total disappointment. Well, but they, they, they are famous for being quite kind of non-conformist in the services and quite ahead of the curve. Right, but they're chasing after the wrong flipping market. Uh, exactly. And so what they're doing is they're looking at, you know... The, That's the, my problem. They're, they're, mar- they're, they're doing a very hard job of giving loads of data to loads of consumers and they're watching their margins go down. And so... In order, to re- in order to resolve that crunch, they use the one strength they have, which is their network is absolutely amazing at data, to run awesome, service, to run awesome services over it. And I'm not saying that all the over-the-top services will be good. There will be more Vodafone 360s, I guarantee you. But this year is the year I think we will begin to see them visible to consumers, and we're going to see who's good, who's bad, and actually, more importantly, who has an imagination, who can see beyond just like the tiny little you know, improvements over what we've already got. Right, hold on, man. they have that. They have that. If you speak to these people, I can name the individuals I know, right? The very smart people in these operations. It's all there, right? They're reading your stuff, they're reading my stuff. and They're not reading my stuff. I can see my logs. It's fine. Uh, was it you say all three of them or something? Yeah, both of them. Both oh, my dear, readers. Not, Big shout out to both my readers. <laughs> these guys are already doing it and thinking it. Your problem is when you hit the senior management who say no. So you're saying that we want to see operate. They're already doing it. The papers are already there. The ideas are already there. It's it's they simply want to deliver it. But I think this year, uh, the the operators who really are innovative will do it. So the the Telefonicas, you can see it. They've got their labs. They've got you know they, yes. they've got the wheels yeah, turning. Yeah, and that, yeah. somebody somebody in big leasing, for example, is new. Yeah. Somebody in well, it's not over the top service, but it is innovative. Sorry, yes, but yeah, yeah. but um, somebody in big, slow, fat, lazy operator will notice that competitor operator is doing these services to win more business, and as they always do, we'll go. Not we need yet. to do that quickly. Knock me one out. off the plan that we said no to six months ago. Exactly. And so not all of them will be good, not all of them will succeed, but this will be the year when the operators come knocking in, you know, look at your bills, look at your emails, and they'll be trying to get you to use additional services, things that not necessarily lock you in, but things that make you like the network enough to stay. Well, bring it on. And and there's that consumer side, there's the enterprise side, but also the developer side. One thing that caught my attention recently, AT&T, they did their developer conference what was the central platform? It was about these APIs, we're going to give them away so you can use stuff on our network and it was access to 
you know, location stuff, mm-hmm. all, all the usual suspects. But they said, we're going to give them to away for the first year for free, and you don't have to be an AT&T customer to use them, uh, but you'll get extras if you do. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of less arrogance from the operators with regard to these kind of APIs, because they've been around for a while, but they've been very closely tied in and they wanted to charge for them. That kind of thing is another area where the over-the-top services could be created, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the operator themselves doing them. So Ben is hoping that the senior management in these operators are going to be seriously concerned and burning. I, yeah, actually, what I'm really hoping is that the what I'm really hoping is that some operator out there is thinking, "Oh, no, I mean, yeah, we should definitely do that." In which case, uh, you know, just drop us an email. We're always available for a coffee. You know, just a, a, a small fee and some chocolate biscuits, and we're more than happy to come in and talk to you about this. So I know, I know you make you make a you and you make a, a living out of. Uh, well, uh, can I refer you to my operator innovation series on mobile industry review? Oh, please don't. Well, listen, there's a lot of cool ideas there, I thought. Cool. So, actually, despite the fact you've just spent five minutes disagreeing with me, you agree because you did a whole bloody series on it. Yeah, ben Wings. Uh, thank you very much for listening to... <laughs> let's, wrap, let's wrap this up and we can continue to discuss okay. that another time. Right. Okay, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, we got loads of really great feedback from you just before Christmas, uh, the end of episode seven. Uh, it was uh, we, we welcome all your kind words and feedback. I got some lovely emails from people as well saying they enjoyed the series. Thank you very much. Um, if you've got any comments, questions, feedback, we always appreciate it. Please leave a comment below wherever you've listened to this. Uh, Ewan is gesticulation at me. I'm trying to make a love heart. There you go. Ewan Ewan loves you. I'm merely grateful. Lots of love. Rafe Blanford waves. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, and we will be back next week. Bye-bye.